In an unprecedented move before Harding was in office, Harry Doherty was able to persuade President Wilson's Attorney General, A. Mitchell Palmer, to help silence Chancellor. Palmer dutifully dispatched several operatives from the Department of Justice to intimidate Chancellor during the campaign. Agents soon seized 250,000 flyers from a commuter train in San Francisco. Billy Burns, a staunch Harding supporter, former Secret Service agent, and owner of the William J. Burns International Detective Agency in Columbus, Ohio, also saw the chance to be appointed Chief of the Bureau of Investigation, according to Florence Kling biographer Carl Sferaza Anthony. Burns enlisted one of his best former agents, Gaston B. Means, a notorious thug trained in blackmail, extortion, collusion, maybe murder, to rough up Chancellor. Meanwhile, College of Worcester President Charles F. Wishart was besieged with telephone calls from all over the country from scandalized alumni, reporters, and politicians from both parties. The College of Worcester Board of Trustees, under intense pressure from the community, demanded a written denial from Chancellor that he was involved in the campaign flyers. At 2 o'clock p.m. on October 29, 1920, the Board of Trustees at the College of Worcester called a formal meeting. It is interesting to note that members of the board were elected to their position by the Ohio Synod of the Presbyterian Church, which had established the college. According to John Murphy, the school's 1920 yearbook lists 30 members of the board. Minutes of the meeting list only 10 members present, which include board president John Timothy Stone. Others in attendance were Reverend Palmer, Judge Critchman, Mr. Woodard, Mr. Woods, Mr. West, Judge Cameron, President Wishart, Reverend Higley, and Judge Bigger. The other 20 absent trustees were either never contacted or unable to attend. Unfortunately for Chancellor, Dr. John Timothy Stone was also chaplain for the Republican National Convention. Murphy suggests a larger Republican Party conspiracy was involved and surmises the decision to oust Chancellor was most likely fixed before Chancellor even attended the meeting. Then, at 4 o'clock p.m., Chancellor was summoned for the emergency trustee meeting. Chancellor arrived and disclaimed having anything to do with the circulars, though he admitted doing a study on Harding's genealogy. The board members demanded a written denial that Harding was a Negro. For a variety of reasons, Chancellor refused to sign. Perhaps most troubling for Chancellor was that he had never even made the claim publicly, especially as listed in the circulars. The meeting lasted less than 15 minutes. After a recess, the board voted 10 to 5 for dismissal. As actual board members only numbered 10, John Murphy surmises the first vote, 5-4 and 5 against, was in a deadlock. When Chancellor questioned when the other five board members had arrived, Judge Kirchbaum and Mr. Stone remarked, they called some absent members on the phone and asked for their votes. Chancellor also brought up the fact they lacked enough members to make a quorum, according to the board's own rules, and assumed he would be given ample time to prepare his defense in another board meeting. A second meeting then intervened a few hours later, noticeably without Chancellor being present, and the board officially voted to revoke his faculty membership for life. They also eliminated the Hogue Professorship of Political Science. That same afternoon, the board issued a telegram to the Republican National Committee detailing how they had ousted Chancellor. Chancellor was soon disgraced in his own community and around the country. He had lost his job and reputation, which he had spent an entire life establishing. Chancellor's children were also subjected to severe public humiliation. 
the local church pastor openly vilified Chancellor in front of the entire congregation. Interestingly, on the same day of his dismissal, October 29th, the Dayton Journal newspaper ran a front-page cover story exclaiming, The vile slanderers of Senator Harding and his family will seek their skunk holes ere today's sun shall set. Editor E. Burkham wrote, I say that over my name because I believe that truth and right and justice will prevail. Before today's sun is set, this great nation will know the truth. The journal will send the degrading, shameless, and unthinkable perpetuators of the cowardly assault upon the family of Warren G. Harding to oblivion and merited disgrace. As the board meeting had yet to happen when the paper was published, it is plausible a larger conspiracy was involved in assuring Chancellor's ouster from the university. Nevertheless, the damage had been done. 